Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, sponsored by Zwift, where fun is fast. The first episode of the new season, 2022, I'm pleased today to be joined by Orla Shinui. Hello. And of course, a past employee of Eurosport, <laughs> now now very close friend of the show, Matt Stevens. Welcome back. Hello. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to have you on, Matt. Of course, my former co-host at Dane of the Day, wasn't it? Dane of the Day. We've not had a, a Dane of the Day for a long time. Maybe we should no. at some point bring that back. But we'll catch up with you two guys. What have you been up to? Oh, on the spot. What have I been up to since when? I can't, I can't even think the last time I saw you. Well, last you. time I saw you was, uh, was it the Volta Espana? Sweet mother. Yes. Uh, Worlds, the World Championships. World Championships, yes. I've been doing a lot of track cycling coverage since then, a bit of winter Olympicage. Um, and I've literally just flown in from Portugal this morning at a few days Resting with a family, so I'm recharged and ready Pride for the lose. season. Uh, <laughs> came to Delago actually, oh, but, that, but that's why I'm wearing a bright green um, corduroy jumpsuit. I figure this is the most tan I'm going to get in four months, so kind of rock it. 2022 season's come around quick, hasn't it, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe we've got opening weekend as we record. Yes, day after tomorrow, and I've already done this this month. 13 days commentary. What? Really? So, Tour de Haute Var, Tour de Maritime de Var, I think it's the same race actually, Tour de Provence, Marseille, um, Tour de Valenciana. Yeah. There's a lot of racing already. And so, it doesn't, although opening weekend is upon us, it actually feels like, from my perspective, we're already well into the season, to be honest with you. Can I ask a quick question on that? And the fact that you couldn't remember some of the names probably answers it for me. Do any of those count? Before we get to no, the weekend. Because no. for I mean, me, they don't. Sorry, they don't. Yeah, I mean, Tour of Valencia. It used to be Tour of Qatar, didn't it? And obviously, it's Tour of Saudi Arabia that's on at the moment. Or uh, UAE Tour is on yeah. at the moment. We've had Saudi Arabia. Yeah. For me, it always starts this mm. weekend. Yeah. I love the UAE Tour because of the combination of riders that we get and the top sprinters, the top GC guys. But everything is sort of in my peripheral vision, I think, until opening weekend. I, I, think, I can't pay attention to it enough because it's almost like there's too much racing to come. If I get invested yeah. too soon, too heavily, I don't have the stamina to last the season. I think it's a good point. But the fact that GCN Plus and Eurosport have got this massive portfolio of races, if you want to kind of consume it, you can. Yeah, yeah, but which is awesome. Of, but for a lot of purists, the, the proper opening weekend is, is upon us. But I like to look at this last kind of six weeks as like a, a really nice amuse-bouche. For the seasons, and, and there's some lovely little flourishes, some lovely little indicators of what mm. potentially could happen because a lot of the classics riders have been preparing ahead of these races. Some of the GC guys have been having a little bit of a tussle, so um, I think it's a nice build up to the proper curtain raiser, really. So I think it actually is yeah. pretty important, and I think because of the the situation of points this year, where, where uh, World Tour teams are going to be relegated potentially, the battle for points has been even more is even more important. So I think they actually do stand up these races. 
to have a counter argument anyway. I do like that we go into opening weekend with a frame of reference. That yes, is the one thing. Totally, I love totally. that we've got something to talk about with the riders. We can yeah. see already what their early form is, so we're not going in completely blind. So I do like that. Yeah, and one of the riders who's on form, of course, he's riding this weekend is is the world cyclocross champion, Tom Pidcock. Mm. Of course, we haven't this is our first episode, so we haven't covered all that, but um Superman. He, he's amazing, isn't he? You know, obviously he's moved on now since his Olympic title and the Walter Spaniard Road and He's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with this year. Do you think, Matt? I, I definitely think so. Mm. Um, and I, what I do like as well is the fact that Ineos are giving him the opportunity and the space to almost come up with his own program and say, well, I want to do this because he's still a very, very young man. He's, he's got a very old head on his shoulders. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, he knows what he wants. He doesn't much of a choice, but, but, do they? But he's telling no, them what he wants It's like, to I want to ride cyclocross. Mm. I want to ride, want to ride a bit of mountain yeah. biking. And, he, and there's a loose, off-the-cuff turn a phrase a couple of weeks back well one day I think I can be cyclocross champion MTB champion and road race champion at the same time and maybe and, even this year <laughs> and you can't you wouldn't yeah. really want to bet mm. against that would you because he's so ridiculously talented but yeah it's he's been in action in Al Algarve little flourishes there essentially just building up isn't he to to the classics really but yeah he's going to be in the mix without a shadow of a doubt do you know what I loved as well I mean it's almost too obvious to say but the way he crossed the line at the at the cyclocross world championships because I remember interviewing him after he won the baby Giro which is what 2020 and you think if someone's going to win at that early stage in their career something that's so big and such a marker of future success that they'd be a little bit excited you know that they might be a little bit um I don't know, just show a little bit of uh, emotion in some way. And I remember interviewing him live on Eurosport. Maybe he was daunted by the magnitude of being interviewed. Um, was it corduroy, he, perhaps? <laughs> there was no corduroy involved. Oh, Maybe that was a problem. Strange. But he was almost, almost a little bit bored. And I hesitate to say that because my questions were awesome. Um, but it was so comfortably within the parameters of what yeah. he expects from himself that there was no excitement to it. Mm. And so what I loved about the way he won was he is showing now he is having fun yeah. and he wants to bring a bit of a show to things. That Superman pose across yeah. the, the finish line was just beautiful because it shows that he's that he's excited by winning, yeah. you know, and, he, and he's got an appetite and agreed for it, which I really like. And another man, another su a superstar, of course, Mark Cavendish. Mm. He's already winning this year, isn't he? Uh, so he's picked up where he left off last year, which is fantastic for us. Two but, wins, um, yeah. yeah. One in Saudi. And then, of course, he's hit the deck again just yesterday, wasn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, the, I, I didn't actually see the crash on telly, but I saw the images of it. And then he was sprinting again today, we're now on Thursday. It wasn't in the mix. Um, but um, I think the manner of that win the other mm -hmm. day was superb. It was it, sweeping Ben. He got a perfect line, obviously wonderful lead out from Morkov. But that was, when you look at the names that were there, although it is early in the season, and to pick up on your previous point, I think that that result matters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the Saudi win was, um, was good opposition, but not anywhere near the, the opposition he had the other day. And that was peak Cav. And, and, and even Patrick Lefebvre said, yeah, that was a special, special win. And that was good. That was massively exciting. I did message uh, Mark afterwards and he said, I, I was, thought I was going to lose it. I decided to go early and regretted it, but he, he, did, mm. he did hold on. But it was, Oh, immaculate win, immaculate win. And I think it was the caliber of the riders, the names that you mentioned, Matt, that he beat to do that. Because last year, when he started to win again and people were getting excited and, and the cynics and the skeptics were sort of trying to 
dampen enthusiasm somewhat by saying he's not he's not winning against the best in the world. He's not beating the best sprinters. Well, now he is. And he yeah. just continues to blow us all away because yeah. this time last year, the thought of him getting to the Tour de France was such a long shot that no one would have bet money on it. Then, even as he won all those stages at the Tour de France, everyone is guaranteeing saying, well, that's his last Tour de France. He'll never be back again. And now he's back to winning the very best way that Mark Cavendish yeah. can. I, I think he's absolutely phenomenal still. And the way he's doing it is just, yeah, incredible. Do you think he'll make the tour team? I did see a quote from someone saying that uh, he, he's sort of dead set for the tour. Well, I think, I think Cav is set for the tour. When you Let's rewind to the back end of last year. Let's get to the Vuelta, mm. where Jakobsen signed a new contract yeah. with assurances he would go to the tour. And then protracted contract negotiations with, with Mark meant that he didn't really sign until December, did mm. he? Um, and Cav has been told he's going to the Giro uh, and said Jakobsen's the number one sprinter. But now Jakobsen's had three or four wins already this season. Cav's had two. And day before yesterday, what, what lo and behold, Patrick Lefebvre says, you know, I might take two sprinters and yeah, it's open. Yeah. I'm just going to take the best rider. Mm. So things have changed. But that's what Lefebvre, whether you loathe or, or like Patrick Lefebvre, what he is good at is bringing the best out of his riders. He puts a lot of kind of, he puts the pressure and the ownership on performance over to the riders yeah, again. Yeah. Philippe Joubert on a one-year contract and bonuses has his best ever year. Yeah. Cav, back from the dead almost, you know. Like he is derided and loved, but he's, there's something that he does to the mind of riders that makes them deliver their best. So who knows? I think he deserves to go, but ultimately the road will decide in between now and July, won't it? It's a long road yeah, yeah, as well. Isn't yeah, yeah. It? I mean, like I said, this time last year, we wouldn't have guessed for a second he would go to the Tour de France. And you say he's got his mindset in going to the Tour. I'm not sure he's been convinced that he will get to the Tour de France again. Um, he'll say things publicly, but I think he's been in this game a long time. Yeah. He knows Patrick Lefebvre more than, better than just anyone. He's got to win bike races, he, isn't he? He knows what he's got to do. Totally. Um, but he's starting the best possible way. So if if he and Jakobsen keep winning, Lefebvre would be crazy to not send both of them because apart from the fact that, of course, you've got to have a lead out and, and two lead sprinters can detract from that. But if you've got a plan A and a plan B and whichever one of those plans happens to be Mark Cavendish, he's on the brink of making history... Patrick Lefebvre is no fool. He will know the value of that way beyond winning a bike race. And what do we think of the Grand Tour routes then for this year? If Cav does do the Giro or the Tour, um, the Giro, of course, starting in Budapest. Yes. Tour de France starts in Copenhagen. Indeed. It's your Dean of the Day. Which will be sorted. great for Mark if it starts there, because, of course, he loves of Copenhagen. Of course, and, yeah. Um, you know, you wouldn't put it past him trying to, to go one better and, uh, than Eddie Merckx and beat that record. Oh, no, totally. I mean, I want to kick things off with the Giro first off. If, you know, if, if Cab is going there, are a lot, there are plenty of opportunities. Just on the, the news of the last few days as well, though, you know, with the whole Russia-Ukraine thing, is, what's the likelihood of these things actually happening around, you know, obviously Hungary, not a million miles away. Do you know what? Uh, I don't know. Mm. I, I really wouldn't want to call that one, obviously. Um, well, well, that's why you're on the show, man. We got you on specifically <laughs> okay. for this. No, no. Okay. <laughs> specifically for your uh, geopolitical uh, expertise. No, but I mean, you know, we obviously the world's, it puts it into perspective, doesn't it? We're no, cycling. massively. It and, just, um, yeah, it, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's. Um, I think we do need to put this in a little bit, bit of context. C coming on onto a podcast and talking about bike racing in the face of what's happening over in Ukraine blows my mind a little bit. Really, it does put um, stark contrast, doesn't it? And context, should I say? But you're right. I mean, um, yeah. it's not too far away, and who knows how this is going to unfold. Um, but in, in terms of 
to get back to the race itself. It's an intriguing route, isn't it? Over yeah. Starting in Hungary, ending, uh, going over to Sicily, then back over onto the mainland. And with it only takes somebody with a really, really rudimentary grasp of mathematics to say that this isn't going to suit the testers. It's one for the climbers. I mean, the final t time trial in Verona is 17.1 Ks, and the only other one is 9.2 Ks in Budapest on day two, not on yeah. day one. So what we got, 28 Ks in time trial, that's all. Mm. So it really is going to, and it's super, super mountainous, especially as we know in the Giro, it's towards the back end. And that um, obviously makes it hard for any sprinters, you know, if we're talking about Mark Cavendish and totally. any chances he might have, there well, you might get flat a few, stages. Yeah, yeah, you'll you get a few. Get to them, don't yeah, you? I think you'll get a few, like Caleb, for example, yeah, who yeah. is already, is going to go, probably do two or two and a half weeks, uh, or two two weeks, maybe like, like, like Mark, and then, rest up and go to the tour. Um, it was interesting like last year, wasn't it? Eddie Merckx criticised Caleb, didn't he, for pulling yeah. out. Mm. It's like, well, the guy's got a job to do. What, why should he? It's a different era. Yeah, fuck yeah. yeah then haul himself over the mouth. <laughs> I mean, I, I love Eddie Merckx, but... I mean, it's it's it's, but it's also now, been you know? commonplace for a long time at the Giro d'Italia for a sprinter to leave has. before the finish, unless you're guaranteed to win the sprinter's jersey. Then, you know, it, it's it's been going. I don't even I can't even remember how long for, but yeah, it's it's certainly as good as a tradition as any that they leave early and go to the Tour de France. And another incident we're unlikely to have last year's win of the Giro uh, potentially on a start line this year, aren't we? After his horrific crash in Colombia. Mm, awful, awful. Yeah. I mean, we all wish him the very best with his recovery. The fact that he was even up and walking again so quickly after that was phenomenal. It just, it looked horrific. Yeah. And yeah. it begs the question whether he'll ever get back to, mm. you know, because of his, his yeah. underlying conditions with his back anyway. Um, it was a pretty big fall, wasn't it, for, you know, some of the horrific injuries. Um, what do you think, Matt? I think, but first off, it's it's it's, it's astonishing, you know, um, how much the cycling, the greater cycling community, pros, journalists, fans alike, have got behind the Gamba now. But I think his recovery in inverted commas so far, as you just pointed out, Orla, um, the fact he's been walking and even on a recumbent bike in his gym at home with his little dogs looking on, he's like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Um, but again, I'm going to sit on the fence. I'd, I I don't know because I mean, when you have serious spinal injuries with an underlying problem. You just don't know. But I think one thing is for certain, which is completely and utterly undoubted, is that that, that lad believes he will get yeah. back um, and is, you know, ridiculously talented, ridiculously single-minded and has got a nation uh, behind him yeah. as well. So let's wish him all the best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be so hard to get back to. I mean, it's so hard to be at that level anyway. It's it's so rare, as you know, Bradley, um, to get to the very top and to win Grand Tours mm -hmm. and to win more than one. He did win the Giro yep. with that back problem, but it does have shades of the Chris Froome, doesn't it? When you when you yeah, crash that absolutely. horrifically, it's Chris shows us even he's one of the greatest Grand Tour yep. riders that there has ever been, and he's not been able yet to make it up to anywhere near that level again yet. And he's also one of the strongest, you know, yeah. psychologically riders that I've athletes that I've ever come across. Um, so it just goes to show how yeah. difficult it is. Completely different. Um, people and injuries and recovery and everything, but um, it's a big ask, isn't it? And on Chris Froome and, of course, Britain's Geraint Thomas, uh, the Tour de France this year. Of course, 10 years since 2012 this year. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. So. yeah. Could I ask for uh, anybody who won the Tour de France since 2012 put their hands up? <laughs> All the twos. He didn't even go. bother. He didn't even bother. <laughs> didn't even bother, did he? <laughs> Do you know, I... I Bradley stung me the best way possible last year. Do you remember this <laughs> yes. in the studio? In the studio, well, we, the, were, uh, we were <laughs> <laughs> triathlon. We were talking about, tri about Iron, Iron Man. Man. That was it. We were talking about different people doing Iron Man, and um, 
And I said to Bradley, would you ever consider doing an Ironman a triathlon? He went, no. I said, well, you know, you don't even do it for the challenge, you know, take on a challenge. He went, I've won the Tour de France. I don't need a challenge. Fair, <laughs> like, that's a fair answer, isn't it? But it, wasn't, it was the best comeback ever and it pained me so much because there was no answer to I it. Think, it's, it's, it was right, I don't need a challenge, really. or I've won the Tour de France. you got to oh. concede that. But uh, yeah, I mean, Britain's Geraint Thomas. I mean, he's coming towards, I wouldn't say the end of his career, but I read the other day, he's been 17 years as a pro. This is going to be his 17th season as a pro. Wow, you don't, you don't think that, do you? Um, and of course, he wrote his first Tour de France in 2007. Mm -hmm. 15, 16 years ago now. So it's, um, he's had quite a career, isn't he? And I think I always touted him after he won his first Tour de France that he could win two or three Tour de France. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's never been quite right for him. He finished second to Bernal the other year. I mean, the horrific crashes he's had the last couple of years. Um, but I did read the other day that he's um, not in the condition he wants to be in for the Spring Classics, which isn't great because Garayan always wintered well, I used to see. And um, time's running out for him to win a second tour, I mm. think. And of course, Chris Froome, you'd have to say this is probably his last opportunity to, to win a fifth tour and that new generation is coming through. But what do you think about the tour this year and Britain's chances? Um, I think Garayan would is going to go into it with, I mean... Whatever way you you Pretty look at it, with 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 uh, Egan Bernal out of the mix, it, 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 there's a, it's a very difficult void to be filled. Yeah, um, from an Ineos Grenadiers perspective, and and outwardly they're saying they're not changing their game plan, but inwardly, without wanting to predict, I think they they probably are. They're trying to shuffle things around. How how yeah. do we do this? But there are going to be opportunities for other riders. Uh, do they reconfigure and look at the tour? differently and say we just go for stages you know because um, I quite like the way they've been riding this year and, and, tour, and last year a little bit there was a different feel to the team there was a little bit more spontaneity there was a bit more joy to their riding and I'm wondering if Bernal sidelined and no real legitimate chance of winning the tour perhaps given the opposition that are going to go there a lot of other teams now are going into these races like Bora for one example to go on a slight tangent are saying we're not going to ride for 6th, 7th, 8th place anymore in the Grand Tours we're going to go and win stages so you might have to look. Is that you know, enough for them, though? Uh, well, 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 for other teams, is yeah. it? No, you're quite right. Is it yeah. enough for Ineos? I don't. Think I don't it know. Is. But lose, losing somebody as talismanic, as capable as Bernal, who do you look to to win the Tour de France? Well, any one of the other four million. <laughs> yeah, so, no, yeah no. but, uh, but can they? Though I don't that's, think that's they the can. I don't think. Uh, I think the entire question for. For the entire peloton, is how do we beat Tadej Pogacar and Roglic that, this year? And Roglic, yeah. And I mean, who's Roglic. your favourite for the tour at this point? Uh, uh, my heart is Pogacar. always Roglic, mm. always, but that's partly because of how spectacularly he feels. It's it has to be Pogacar. Yeah. I just he's he's a phenomenon, and not only that, but he's he's getting better with it, yeah. with his you know still young age. But he seems to be really growing into this role now of being a statesman of of the peloton and enjoying himself and having fun with it. And that is dangerous with that talent. And that those proven yeah. credentials and having fun on top of it and an entire team that will be built around him, I think he's going to I think everybody will have to work out how to beat him. And so far, Roglic hasn't been able to do that at the Tour de, Tour de France. I don't see how that's necessarily going to change. I would love it to, and I really, really hope that at the very least, Roglic is right up there and contesting it. Um, because it makes for a fantastic spectacle. You know, we need some sort of a competition. Yeah. But for me, it's it's Tadej Pogacar against everybody else. It's, it's, it, I think our, our over the last couple of years, our perspective on looking at who, who's capable of winning Grand Tours has become quite myopic because of how dominant the riders mm. are. And it's really difficult to look at the, the 
if you could t tell me over the last three years who was second and third on the podium all the grand tours you'd probably struggle mm. and that isn't taking away anything from the people who were second and third but it's just the dominant performances of all the winners and and, and they occupy a really rarefied atmosphere and it's difficult to look beyond them mm. so you, you could argue that banal being out of the equation does open things up or or does at least provide the opportunity for teams to think of it a little bit differently and if they can't beat Roglic, Pogacar, um, pound for pound, they've got to race differently and, and be much thing, more I, disruptive I, maybe. That's, the, yeah. that's, that's quite an interesting proposition. Because I do think the teams feel that. I think they feel that Roglic yep. and Pogacar are on another level. And so what do you do with that? Do you have to ride in the hope that something goes wrong with one of them? Will you have to hope that something goes wrong yeah. with both of them? I would love to see Ineos Grenadiers riding like they did in 2020 because that was beautiful. It was fun. It was... It was devil may care. It was caution to the wind, and it worked. Well, it, you know, they with, won lots of stages. Totally, and and, it, and even when you when you although it was a bizarre year, even mm. when Teo won the Giro, the mm. way they the way they adapted, I, I think, and 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 also there's a lot of pressure. The three Grand Tours, you know, resting on the shoulders of just a couple of riders, that's a massive weight to carry, you know. And um, all it takes is for one rider to capitulate or become injured, and then we've got this really open these open set of races. So it's, it's fascinating. It, re it, re it really is. <laughs> and a lot of weight to carry, as you say, Bradley, when a lot of them are paid a lot of money in that team. <laughs> well, that's it, yeah. And, of course, Jumbo Visma are going to be incredibly strong this year, yeah. with the inclusion of, is it Rowan Dennis is there now? Yep. Um, We've got Tom Dumoulin going to the Giro as well. We Tom, haven't mentioned him. Yeah. That should There's, be uh, of course, Cobblestone, the Cobblestone stage is, is well in the Tour de France. Alp Duez again, Planche de Belfi. So it's going to be a, a really tough tour for everyone. You did a good ascent of Planche de Belfi the last time, didn't you? Um, I'm still scarred, bike. actually, Orla. I've not <laughs> been back since uh, on the old Brompton. Remind yeah, us, that was, um, uh, Yeah, I rode up on my Brompton um, um, in my shorts. Oh, no, in casual wear, actually. <laughs> yeah, and that made it a little bit harder. leisure wear. Yeah, did and, uh, I didn't crash. It stayed upright. Um, I had to weave, and, and I, I call it tacking, you know, like in sailing, yeah. when you use the wind. <laughs> I had to tack across the finishing straight to get across the line but um i was at the very top yeah. when you when you made it and i was very impressed actually you didn't look that out of breath compared to what i would have very kind. expected of a normal <laughs> person <laughs> but yeah plant feet i mean flipping it yeah beautiful it? beautiful yeah. I love it's, a, it's a and like you said anything could happen we, yeah. we've seen tours turn on a sixpence mm. in the north more those i i, I and i'm i for one like the disruptive element of, mm. of incorporating cobbles and stuff and we look at the last time they were you know, when when Nibali was was riding the cobbles back in 2014 and the, the disruption that it caused, I can't, I like that. I really do. What do you think of it as a former rider, having that disruption of things like cobbles or gravel or whatever? Because lots of current riders will complain and say that we specialize yeah. for, uh, road for a reason. I love it. What I think it's afar. great. I think it's um it's a shame it's not in more often. Mm. Uh, it has become quite a regular thing, hasn't it, in the tour now, mm. the last few years. Um, and it always adds. It's one of the most exciting stages, isn't it, when we, when we have it. I remember a few years ago, Tony Martin was right up there, wasn't he? And uh, won the stage, and of course, the stage in the rain where um, Lars Boom won a yep. few years ago. Mm -hmm. I rode it in 2010, I think it was, where uh, Tuhushovd won. So it always it always adds an, another element to the tour, and it's another thing that you have to come through. And mm -hmm. if you win the Tour de France, having done a cobbled stage, then like Nibali did in 2014, then um, you're clearly the best rider. Riders seem to complain a lot more these days, don't they? Do they? they do they? Or do, we, yeah. do they maybe have uh, more outlets? Well, I think there's more outlets, but I think they get. I think this, it, the news channels, there's so many of them yeah. saturated, isn't it? They, their comments get picked up. We were saying about Chris Froome and, and the comments he makes on his YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. 
he doesn't have that many views for his channel, but the comments go worldwide, don't they, on every on every outlet. Like this show, you know, you have to say something. It's Wiggins calls for grid-like start ramps. <laughs> I didn't. I just said someone. Oh, you know. So, it, and it's like that's it. So you have yeah, to you yeah, have to yeah. take it with a pinch of salt as yeah. to how these comments are how said much and how much they're it. actually calling for it. Mm. You know. Yeah, Although it, Trent in making a call, coming out and speaking yeah. about gravel not having a place in stage racing, Trent well, knows the game and he's been in it a yeah. long time and he is a bit of a spokesperson for the peloton, so he's not likely to be taken out of context in a sense because he'll know that that'll happen. Yeah, but what is the biggest uh, in the industry of bike sales at the moment, the type of bike? Gravel. gravel. Exactly, mm. so you kind of have to introduce that into yeah. the sport a little bit. I think you're right. I, I, I think it's it's quite interesting when you look at the um, the opinions that are coming out from certain riders. I think there's a, there's a slight conservatism from the older generation, which is kind of quite natural. Mm. But then from the younger generation, there's more of an acceptance and an understanding that the industry yeah. and racing has changed. Because they you know, race multiple disciplines. Yeah. Or they're more uh, likely to. And, and, and I'm caught between. I, th I, th I guess we all are. You, you, I, I see the point of view of Trenton. There's a bloke I really like and he's got some really... Mm -hmm. And he's one of the few pros actually when he, he gets things done as well. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you look back it's a few really months, impressive. so there's some of the most controversial issues about leaning hands on the bars and stuff like that. He actually read all the documentation. So he has actually pretty switched on and has a view, albeit a slightly conservative one. But then you get Remco saying one thing, taken out of context, but says, yeah, gravel has got a place. It's just we've got to get used to it because it's, it's getting more eyeballs on. It's getting mm. more other, other people on bikes from outside the industry. Um, and, and the industry is driven by, our industry is driven by bike sales a lot of the time. And what's entertaining as well. And, and, and gravel has provided mm. us with great entertainment. Hands up here who wants Strada Bianca installed as a monument, for example. I do. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I'll anyway, I went off on a, a tangent, but, you <clears throat> but yeah, you've got you've got to look at you you've got to look at the industry as being entertainment because that's fundamentally what it is. Yeah. That's what brings money in. And lots of uh people in Lycra on bikes riding along smooth tarmac isn't necessarily the most entertaining unless you understand all of the tactics. Stick them on a bit of gravel, then obviously it literally shakes things up a little bit and it's and it makes for more fun and you were talking about Planche de Belfi and, and was that 2019? 2019. That was yes, the first time they was. used the gravel yeah. sector at the top. Um, I don't remember complaints about that at the time. I think sometimes it's, it can be quite selective. And I was saying to you both, I can't even remember what year it was, but I remember the, the, the Schleck brothers complaining, maybe 2010 or something, about um, finishes off the back of a summit. So downhill yep. finishes saying that they had no place in cycling. So we, we do evolve as well. Nobody would question now yeah. going over the top of a summit and then and then having a descent to the finish. These things gradually get incorporated, don't they, and become more normalized. And I think that's what we what we see with gravel in particular. Cobbles, I think, have always had a bit of a place going way back. And what I find quite intriguing is, is when I can't think of a rider in particular that has said that they think gravel's dangerous. Dan Martin last year, of course, remember, he said he wouldn't, he wouldn't ride full gas on the yeah. strata stage because he had a wife and kids at home and said it was too dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> then you got the, the, arguably the most dangerous stretch in cycling is the Forest of Arenberg, and, and yet there's a celebration when you ride over it. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's but then the I'm... argument is, I guess, yeah. that there are certain riders who target yes. those races and they don't necessarily then mix very well with the Grand Tour contenders. You know, mm. they, you won't see Pogacar going through the Arenberg, for example. It's political correctness gone mad because now they're talking about wanting <laughs> calling for ban time trial bikes to be banned as well. What do we, I want to ask you, Bradley, Good knowing segue. full well Good the answer, segue. I think it's, what um, do you think of that? I then? mean, obviously, there's been some horrific accidents, but the you know the nature of time trial bikes, you know, it's just you, you it's still a bike, and you've got to look where you're going, you know. And um, I think that 
it seems funny now that it's all of a sudden, you know, that's banned time trial bikes because a few people have crashed on them. And I think um, they have their place in the sport. It's a chance for technology and innovation mm. to shine. And it's an attractive, it makes it sexy and attractiveness, attractive to, to the outside world. And it's another um, kind of um, selling point for brands, isn't it? And things to get, uh, you know, the innovation out there and, and advertise. So I think we'd be going backwards if we banned time trial bikes. And I don't really know where it's come from. Am I being a bit facetious to suggest that if we have crashes on bikes, we ban bikes? I mean, that's, where do you stop with that? Well, look where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, when your mum you, and dad take your stabilizers off, the first thing they say is, keep your head up, look where you're going. <laughs> I think if they were from Northern. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, they didn't if speak they were, like that right If they were just way. from Northern, not from the North, but Northern. <laughs> I think we're, we're laughing about it. We're not laughing, you're laughing. <laughs> I, I'm very serious. No. We're, we're laughing at it, but it's it's quite true. And, and it, it, Chris Froome mentioned it on his YouTube channel. And when you do listen to what he actually said, he's more calling for a discussion on it than actually trying to ban it. But yeah. but but then conversely, Walt Bernard came out and said that was his words mm. were, that's a lot of bullshit. Yeah. Um, I do think that it's ultimately, whatever bike you get on, whether it's a recumbent, a low profile, a BMX, a mountain bike, gravel bike, road bike, and you're on the open road, it is your innate responsibility to look where you're going. Mm. And, and, um, and that's not taking anything away from the awful crash of Banal. Oh, no. But ultimately, I mean, in a very bit busy area. It's a dangerous um, it's, it's sport. It's awful. I mean, the sport is dangerous. Mm. But ultimately, people should be able to ride mm. the bikes that, that are out there. But it's up to them to, to guide them to, and to yeah. pilot them safely. I know there's a lot of pressure on riders to get as aero as they can. And I think it's this pressure to become ridiculously yeah, but aerodynamic. Do you process. sacrifice that for keep your head up and ride into the back No, you of the don't. Bus. And that, you're right, Brad. You don't. You, you, you know, you, no, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's like that... It, life-threatening injuries at times you know yeah. it's like keep your head up well that's what you told in time trial yeah. back in the day brad you, you know you, you club do. tens you in do. the 80s yeah. and 90s timekeeper your mum and your dad your mates keep your head up is that i mean you could also argue ban power meters you know maybe the, the, your head is down more because you're looking at your data rather than looking at the road in front but it's of always you. this time of year that we seem to have these um we haven't raced properly yet that's like, let's not ban them let's just have a discussion <laughs> <laughs> you know? let's have a discussion about yeah. banning them <laughs> and, and and actually you know something we were discussing for many many years now um and it seems to have gone i think it's gone a little bit unnoticed not unnoticed but i don't think there's been as much hype or publicity surround, you know, promoting it is the Women's Tour de France this year. Mm. It's the first one, um, which I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see how it's going to go. Uh, eight stages. What do you think, Orla? I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I say that quite cautiously just because I haven't been one of these people who has banged on about it. I didn't think we needed it to save women's cycling. And I, and I always objected every year so these articles that would come out around La Course by La Tour de France where um, journalists would use up their column inches talking about the fact we didn't have a women's Tour de France rather than talking about the races that we yeah. did have. And so I always objected to that. All of that aside, I can't blame and wait. I yeah. think it's going to be so exciting. We're starting in Paris the day after the Tour de France. We're going to be there actually getting to see it. And I just, I think that the eyeballs we should get on the race will be phenomenal because we know sitting in this room and hopefully everyone listening to the podcast will know how exciting and dynamic and at times unpredictable women's cycling is. It's It's got a different feel and flavor to men's cycling. It's less structured. It's less formulaic. And it can be and almost always is phenomenal to watch. If we get eyeballs on that, 
through the course of the Tour de France fam, then what a fantastic vehicle of promotion for the sport. I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And I love the fact that we're covering all the disciplines. We should have the best bike, female bike rider in the world winning it. That said, it's going to be hard to see past Annemiek van Vleuten, I yes. would say. Yeah. But we've yeah. got Anna van der Breggen now in a team car. Um, she'll be directing her SD Works team. It's it's going to be fantastic. One thing, I would have loved Lizzie Dignan to be able to ride it. Um, of course, she is. Congratulations to her and to Phil and to Orla. They're um, adding to their family this year. Well, they bought a budgie. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're pre she's pregnant again. She? She's pregnant yeah. again. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. congratulations. And Trek Sigafredo were supporting her in extending Brilliant. her contract. Um, women's cycling is coming on such yeah, yeah. amazing pace. Yeah, and hats with, off to Trek. Yeah, Sigafredo, absolutely. You know? They really they, are. Because also they, they signed her when she was still pregnant. Exactly, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the very first time. So um, she hadn't actually pulled on a jersey for them yet. Yeah. And she was given maternity leave. Um, we see the likes of Eleanor Barker. She was. She yeah. found out she was pregnant in Tokyo. She hadn't yet signed her deal with Uno X. And the boss of Uno X had said, congratulations, we still want to sign you again. We'll pay you maternity leave before you've even raced for us. The woman's peloton is moving in, yeah. in a fantastic direction with yeah. that, and it yeah. should be the case. But yeah, I'm really, to go back to Tour de France, I'm really, really excited about it. And mm. I just hope that all of that momentum and excitement that we build with the Tour de France, and you know, we all feel flat at the end of it, don't we? I really hope that, that gives Continues. us that. Yeah, that, that we've got enough bandwidth of attention span yeah. to keep it going. I yeah. think we do. Yeah, I, ho I do hope that our hangover's on Monday morning <laughs> in Paris. Speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, well, I don't drink, so. <laughs> Never have done. On a Monday morning. <laughs> Matt, I think it's going to be brilliant. Uh, echo all of your, all of what you said there, all. I think you, you put it really well. I mean, the momentum is, um, is amazing. We've got on the horizon parity and pay coming mm -hmm. up as well. About time too, but I think it looks fantastic. I and think what it's a great that it Sorry. starts in Paris because it's yeah. a natural pickup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and no one, I wouldn't have ever thought that, but it was a great idea. That yeah, Whoever's... yeah, yeah. I would have thought we would have finished in Paris. Yeah, and I like it, that it's we nice don't. That I like it's that a it's a continuation. Yeah. Yeah, 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 very much so. Well, it's giving it's giving its own identity, isn't mm -hmm. it? The only change I would have made was to have the first stage on the same day as Sunday. You know, it's like a, a national crossover. I'm actually glad it's not because now they've got the men's finish so much later. You know, they, they did it for the centenary, I think, yeah. where they changed it so that it was with sunset. Yeah. And so we've got a really late finish. So they would have to make the men's finish so much earlier. And I think as well, there is such a demob feeling in Paris that day when everybody has finally yeah. made it all the way to the finish line. I don't think we would have the energy to keep then going with a women's race. I think it's better than anything. Well, of course, last year we had a 5 a.m. call time. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's such it's a long just, game. Yeah, That's I mean, why, it's, though. It's, um, yeah. it, it, it's why we don't see very many journalists yeah. actually turning up to La Course as well as doing the Well, that's a good thing. It's a shame they do, they do the same with the men's race. Do what? Turn up. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a less journalists. It's too many of them. It's another, another podcast entirely. Uh, how many journalists? Are there two questions of the week? Are there too many journalists on the Tour de France? But what a climax. Yes. It finishes on the Plains de Bill feet. Yeah. Again, I've ridden up Plains de Bill. We talked about that. I rode up my Brompton. I was proud. Uh, you've walked up mm -hmm. it. But Bradley, I believe at some point in the past, roughly a decade ago, you rode up it as well. And not, I didn't get out of the saddle the whole way up. Oh. Yeah. Coggage, did you choose to I don't do that? Coggage. I don't know. I just found, it easy, to, I found it easy to sit in the saddle. I found I went slow when I got out of the saddle. So, um, yeah, but it was um, 10 years ago. Quite. What yeah. do you I remember about that day in particular? Yeah. Um, our, it was still probably the best execution of a ride by Team Sky really? that, that's ever happened, I think. Why? Um, just the plan went perfect that day. Sean Yates put the team on the front early on. Um, we hit the climb. 
with Boas and Hag and Knice, Michael Rogers, Richie Port, one by one, everyone wow. just kept you know peeling off, and all I had to do was stay there and stay, you know, um, to take the yellow jersey because of of where I was positioned from the prologue, um, and we I just kept hearing on the radio, Schleck dropped, Sean Yates, of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Valverde dropped, <laughs> Frank Schleck dropped, <laughs> you know. And it was just like that all the way up. And then I think we got around the sort of one of the hairpins and it, it flattens out a little bit, doesn't it? I remember looking around, there was just me, Cadell, Nibbley and Chris. And I think, God, this is, you know, and then we got to the last ramp and it was just a case of staying this close. And Chris, you know, blew everyone away and I knew I took the jersey and I finished third on the stage. And, and, and that was enough for me. I thought that's, I'd won everything that year. And of course it was about winning the Tour de France, but to take the yellow jersey, like if it were, if it was only going to be for one day, I'd replicated what I'd watched my, my boyhood heroes do in Chris Borman and Sean Yates and Tommy Simpson. And I'd joined that very, you know, elite list of British riders that held the yellow jersey. Of course, I then went on to hold it for 14 days and win the tour. But I remember saying to Ned Bolting um, at the top of the climb that day in the interview that, um, you know, that to wear the yellow jersey in the Tour of France. If it, if it was just to be, from that day on, I would always have that yellow jersey. So I don't know where it is now. All right. I think someone's <laughs> nicked it. But. but as you're saying that, I get goosebumps. And I think of your face on that day because you showed no emotion on the bike really ever. What was going through your mind as you were hearing those riders dropping? Because I'm I'm getting a little flash of excitement even thinking yeah, about well, what that, that would that feel was... like. Did you feel excited? Did you feel? No, I think you just, it's An just confirmation. An adrenaline spike or anything. It's like, with, yeah, I suppose, yeah. It's just because it, it was so hard as well. Mm. So you're concentrating, concentrating, and you know you're one minute away from popping each time. But so every time a rider gets dropped, you're like, I'm not the only one, you know. And it's it was just it was on the river the whole way up seven kilometers, I think the climb is. But we couldn't have executed it any better. And that is what we trained for that year up to that point, all the hours and you know the, the job like Edvel Bowes and Hagen did in the valley and um, Christian Nice and Michael Rogers, Richie Port. There was three or four guys in front of me that day on that team that were just as capable of winning the Tour de France. Chris Froome, of course, Richie Port, the legs he had. Michael Rogers has been top 10 in the Tour before that. He'd finished second at the Dauphiné before the race. Just as capable as you, you think? The form we were in that year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think from a, on a physical thing, mm, mm. Um, whether someone like Richie or Michael at that stage in their career, because obviously they shone when they were in riding in the, in the service of other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Richie Port at times, you know, when Chris Froome won his first Tour de France was, was uh, you know, arguably... A, on better form than, than the G-Show, but always struggled when he was given that that leadership. And, you know, Geraint Thomas was like that for a few years. He really shone in the running and service others and then stepped up to the mantle and, and handled that responsibility. But, um, no, I mean, I, I, I paid more credit to my teammates that that race. You know, you can't win it alone. And they were phenomenal. And we, and we couldn't have done it, of course, without the big boss in the car, Sean, who yeah. uh, really, really, really set the tone. Well, when and I have to throw off, thank Dave B, one of 19 Tour de France. <laughs> No, you threw me then, Brad. Yeah, might. <laughs> Dude, Roosevelt Dave is a guest. Um, are, are you able to savour it and enjoy it now? Because a decade has passed. You know, you, you speak about it in this. We talked about this before. This in this detail that you have it is. Mm. It's, it's like you're there. Like all he was saying. Mm. I remember obviously watching it on the on the telly back then. And and do you are you able to sit and actually enjoy it now and 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 think about it as an achievement? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you hesitate to say that? Yeah, because I don't know what that's supposed to feel like. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah people say that to you as if like... But you know what you imagine it to feel like because you grew up dreaming about it. Because you're, you're yeah, striving that, that to adds, achieve it, That adds you? to why uh -huh. you, you don't can know what... never see yourself in the same light. Uh -huh. So 
my son said to me the other day, he says, um, it's quite good winning it on the twos, you know, so, uh, 2012. So whoever wins this year, you know, if it's Pogacar, he adds to a very special club of the people that have won every decade on the twos. Of course, I won in 2012. Uh, no, of course, Lance Armstrong, 2002. 92, Miguel Indurain. Yep. 82, Bernardino. 72, Miguel in, uh, Eddie Merckx. Mm -mm. 62, Jacques Anquetil. 52, Fausto Coppi. Wow. The twos is... Whoever so wins this you're, year. You're in the sexy grip there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's quite nice. So, but, those, so those, that list of riders, to, to, to add my name on the end of that, mm -hmm. it, that, that puts it into perspective to me. And also, 10-year anniversary of that, the of you win the Olympic Games. And also, your, your lad is going to be lining up in Kona Brussels. Kona Brussels, for the, yeah, for that yeah. Race. As well, in, in, in the junior race and the, well. yeah. and the Commonwealth. And he's riding for Tom Pidcock's dad's team. So Jai wow. Pidcock, uh, Fencham, their uh, junior team is just joined this year. And, you know, good luck to them all. They're out there. And he's on the, uh, he just got a letter the other day for selection for the Commonwealth Games. So, you know, he's, uh, he's, right on track. he's on the track program. Strong lad, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. How yeah, are you going lad. to not shite tactics at him from the bike? No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't do tactics. Um, I've been coaching him this winter. I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the quiet. And uh, he's done well. He's really done well. You know, be nervous though when you're going through in the motorbike for Eurosport at current. You're doing current. No, I'm doing, doing newsblad, but I'm going to go and um, watch the race on Sunday. Oh, okay. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's doing well. Will you be no more nervous watching him then for no. you? No, you're no. not nervous for him? No. No. I mean, I. I, I <sighs> I've said to him, just anticipate, just expect there is an opportunity chance in Belgium. You know, what Belgium's like that you could eat Belgium tarmac. You know, <laughs> it, it is it's carnage. You've got your wits, but you learn really quickly. You learn very quickly, don't you? In those sorts of races, you know, Death Valley down the middle. You know, <laughs> it's it's unique, isn't it? Gutter sniping on the um, left hand side. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, we'll see. We we'll see. You could be doing worse things in life. Uh, the Walter, <laughs> the third, the third of the Grand the Tours. Grand Tour of the Fallen um, Leaves. The, the Grand Tour of the, of the Fallen Leaves. It always appears to me as if the world, it's always been a great race, isn't it? Bar none, the last decade, it's always been a corker. Because it, it's like, it's like a sweeper, isn't it? It's like I the sweeper grounds it. scooping up yeah. all the detritus. Oh, but, but generally, oh, that's, a bit, that's a bit harsh. But, <laughs> no, but all the detritus, it's golden nuggets of detritus okay. is what I'm trying to say. Okay. No, well, that's, I can't <laughs> take that back. Golden nuggets of detritus. Basically, that's it's the a, best backtrack it's a I've ever heard. Because we can't sit here in February, can we, and predict the Vuelta. Mm, yeah. We've got the route in front of us on a bit of paper, but we don't know what, we can't even think what it might look like because of what may or may not happen in the Giro, what may or may not happen in the in the tour. Yep. And that's why I think it's an, a really always an exciting proposition because of that very reason. It's a desperation of the Vuelta that I love. I mean, I just love that there is nothing left to lose. That everybody just throws everything at it. Yep. And it's just so brutal. I know every one of the Grand Tours is brutal. But we sit here and we look at the parkour and we look at, what is it, nine summit finishes over nine. three weeks. But we forget it gets up above 40 degrees. We don't think about the temperature as we're doing it and the fatigue of the season. And I'm so excited about finally getting our Utrecht start and starting the, th the first three stages in the Netherlands. That is going to be phenomenal. Obviously, as a, as a blow-in Dutch native these days, I know firsthand, as we all do, just how obsessive the Dutch are with cycling. And Utrecht is such a cycling city, even by Dutch standards. It's going to be the best fun. And if I'm not there, I'm going to be very disappointed. Um, it's going to just be beer and chips everywhere. It is. It is. And if, Beers if, and frites. Yeah, I had to find an emotional moment. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a grand tour. 
What's, uh, what's it been like since Max Verstappen won the world title? It's been amazing. Yeah, yeah they love it. Phenomenal. Do you know what's really funny, actually, watching all the coverage and listening to all the coverage of the Formula He's 1 from the like UK? Yumbo, is he? Lot Yumbo, yeah. He they sponsor around. all the speed skaters yeah. anyway. But yeah, all the coverage of the Formula 1 in the UK was outrage, absolute outrage. Yeah. In the Netherlands, it was, woohoo, for heaven and campion. And they yeah. were just just overwhelmingly delighted about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're going to get behind all the Dutch riders and all the riders, really, because they just absolutely love it. And they've got the full set now. If, if the yeah. Grand Tours were top trumps, what a cracking hand Utrecht would have. <laughs> yeah. They've got the full collection, the Tour, the Giro, and now the Vuelta. Mm. But it yeah. should be good. It should be should be absolutely corking. Predictions? As for the predictions, <laughs> I'm not making any, Brad. No, we don't even know who's going to make it, it to the start line. It would be utter folly. Well, um, I don't, I, I'm going I, for Rolich. You're going to go for <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The thing Patrick. is, we he's can going say we're going to make any predictions whatsoever. It would be utter folly, but I mean, it's got to be Roglic. I'm going for, he's going for number four, isn't he? Yes. 19, 20, 21 he won, didn't he? Because we were all there in 2019, weren't we, when he won? We were. That's correct. So he's, you are right. Won. Sorry, Brad, you are right. Yeah, yeah. Oh three my yeah. Four, four in a row. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That'd yeah. be awesome. But I don't want him to win it. Why not? Because, like <laughs> yeah. because if Roglic wins the Vuelta, that means he's gone at it full tilt because he didn't win the Tour de France. And I want him not right up there for the Tour no, de France. No. Yeah, well, that's so. what's happened in the last couple of years. Yeah, it? yeah. Um, I, want, I do. I want to see Roglic win in the Tour yeah. de France. I really, really do. Sorry, sorry, Pagacha and everybody else. No, I think. Well, he might I have a chance this year now. Tony Martin's retired. <laughs> well, he, Rowan slotted straight into that place, isn't he? I think Rowan Dennis is. Yeah. I know a big tangent now, but I think Dennis is going to make a big difference in that team. What? What a lad! What an engine! Mm -hmm. um, but they've got a formidable backroom staff, yeah. haven't they? As of UAE, though, they've really bolstered it. I mean, you used to look at Sky Ineos over the last few years as being the team, but now UAE really looking at the riders they have at their disposal and Jumbo Visma, incredible setups. Mm. Um, and just geared towards crushing the Grand Tours. Yeah. So Ineos are now on the back foot. But that Which is I, exciting. I, to but, watch. I, but I think it's good. I mm. think it's really, really good. They've got to um, look at look at the, look at the assets they have. And let's be honest, we talked about it earlier in the pod, didn't we? But um, some riders now have got to step up um, um, or step back into the breach. Like what an opportunity for Geraint yeah, Tour, for example. True. You know, um, we didn't quite get to finish that part of the conversation. But I think it. Uh, we we all wish Egan Bernal the best. But um, I think. That void could be filled, and other riders have got the opportunity, Carapaz, to, to step up, and we'll see if they've really, really got it uh, uh, against some of the most fierce opposition we've seen in the, in the last decade. Yeah. Let's be honest. And I think we'll just finish up with, of course, the announcement of the retirement of our greatest British Olympian, Jason Kenny, who's been an, a phenomenal servant to British cycling over the years and British sport. Um, and Jason Kenny, was he seven gold medals he's retired with now? Um, amazing. Yeah, and what a, what a lovely guy to boot as well. Uh, father, husband, mm. and, um, our greatest British Olympian. And arguably, for the level of his, of his success, dare I say, one of the most underrated and, and understated. Right. And, and it's funny with Jason because people say maybe he's shy or he's quiet. He's not actually. He's he's really charismatic. He's, Jason, he's really that's what charming. Makes him unique. Exactly. He's exactly true to himself. He doesn't try to be a greater showman than he is. He, he, there are no there's no front with him. There are no airs and graces. He's just as he is, and he's a, he's just a wonderful person off the bike. Yes. And such an exciting talent on it. And the moments that he's given us, you know, from his his um, Kieran in Tokyo to um, Rio, remember the the Dominance restarts in Rio. Was, he's given us not just the gold medal moments, but all the drama along the way. It's also, phenomenal. those moments in the track centres with his wife. Of yeah, course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Laura. they're so the way they handle yeah. their marriage 
and being parents mm, 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 mm. as well as and winning. multiple Olympic yeah, champions. Yeah, it's phenomenal, really. And, and I remember we were in Tokyo at the track center last year, and Laura crashed in the in the women's scratch race, and Jason sort of was smiling on the rollers, you know, like <laughs> like as, you know, didn't go over and sort of say, mm. you know, see see if his wife was alright. But he just knew that she's hard as nails; mm. and she'll be fine. And the admiration I had for watching them witness how they, you know, being on the other side of the fence last year, how they handle their marriage in public, but mm. in 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 the in the in the hotbed that is the track center at the Olympic Games was was quite impressive really that they and they've got a child at home watching yeah, the TV yeah, which yeah, is yeah. amazing yeah the next phase of his career is obviously going to be the national coach isn't he but um the, co the apparently the people at BC didn't realize he applied with like a day before the deadline nobody knew he was going to apply and just thought <laughs> I fancied the job I didn't even know if I was going to get it that <laughs> underlines the modesty yeah, of the chap yeah, as well yeah. just fancied the job he said he probably would have carried on had he not got the job. So got got the gig and is now retired. <laughs> so what a lovely way. I didn't tell anybody yeah. that he was applying for the job, but what a man to carry yeah. our sprinting um, our, our sprinting talent into the next couple of Olympic, Olympic cycles. That experience, um, that determination, and also the fact he's a family man as well. Yeah. You, you know, when you look he at sport now, maybe the, the holistic element yeah, of yeah, getting yeah. the best out of an athlete isn't just being able to deliver it on the bike. It's your everyday life and, and how that kind of coexists with your personal life. And I think that's really important to carry forward, isn't it? Yeah, they're really lucky to have him and to keep yeah. him. I would say as well, I do hope we do some more punditry because we were lucky enough to have him yeah, on the great, UCI Track he? Champions League. And he was absolutely brilliant. The insight that he brought and made it really relatable. Um, He's better than Chris Hoy, isn't he? <laughs> he is. <laughs> Stop it, Bradley. He is. You multiple Olympic champions being all petty amongst <laughs> each other. It's quite charming. Pundit wars. Jason is, um, <laughs> he is in every sense of the word, our greatest Olympian, yeah. I think, across all sports. Mm -mm. You know, not just in, in his medal hall, but in his achievements as yeah. well, you know. In the way he carries himself. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's a one-off. He really Thanks, is. Jason. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for the memories. Yeah, all the best. Well done. Good luck. That leads me to say thank you to, of course, our guest today, Matthew Stevens. Thank you very much for having me. I've never heard you called Matthew before. It's, one, I've been, no, um, it's one I'm gonna, about to get told off. So when we rec stop recording, Braz could probably take me to one side and have a word. Oh, I hope I get to witness uh, this. It's probably the colour of corduroy I'm wearing. Or the <laughs> spotted socks. Who knows? And thank you, Ola. <laughs> <Who's>? <laughs> Thank you very much. It has been a surreal pleasure as ever. You've just flown in just for this podcast. Have you? I have, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. flying back to the Netherlands tonight? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm actually staying in, I'm going to Bath to the studio for, for Omelette and then I'll be back to the Netherlands. I'll be on the motorbike. Yeah, oh, stay safe, Bradley. Yeah, I'm wrapping up. Enjoy. I did have motorbike leathers new for 2022. What, what are you going to wear? Well, they're skeleton bones. <laughs> are they skeleton. actually? Yeah, but... Um, I'm saving it for hotter weather because it's going to be cold this weekend. Right, okay. So you're, not going to do, you're not going to do another topless um, no, leather I jacket? I got <laughs> No, but I'm going to... <laughs> that was one of my favourite moments it. of last my, year. The 2022 is going to be a tribute to Evil Knievels <laughs> right through the season. <laughs> so I'll maybe save the skeleton bones for Strada Bianchi or Paris Bay or the Tour de Flanders. Oh. Or Italian. I'll be on the motorbike all year this year with Eurosport GCN. And uh, that brings us to the end of the Bradley show for today. Thank you again to my guests. Thank you to Pete Burton. And thank you to Zwift, sponsors of the show. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.